The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. One of the uh, highlights of the calendar year at TBC is baptism, and uh, baptism takes place tonight. There are maps in the hallway to uh, provide you directions on how to get there. And uh, we're baptizing about 25 folks tonight, so it's with great delight that we do that. Is anybody in here this hour who's being baptized or your kids being baptized? Uh, anybody in here this hour? Would you stand? Let's see anybody in here this morning being baptized or your son's daughter's being baptized over here. Bunch back here, over here, and over here. Bless you. Join us. Join us as a uh, sign of support as a body, and I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed in the time at the creek together. Uh, we do need four men to join us at 4 o'clock, four men at 4 o'clock to help us spruce some things up out there. Even if you're not going to be able to stay for baptism, we can use four dudes to come there. So I, I need four hands out there, four guys that can come at 4 o'clock to help us for, Arlen, how long? Maybe about uh, an hour? So about an hour. Four dudes, 4 o'clock for one hour. Jeff, I got you over there. Okay, you almost all be my blind side. There's two, Matt. There is, okay, who else? I need two more dudes this hour, 4 o'clock, coming out to baptism. Okay, there's three, there's four. Great, over here. Super. Thank you, guys. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. That's great. Terry, did you put that in there? That's awful. That's probably a UT or A&M thing instead of LSU thing. Actually, that's pretty close to spelling it right. That's a, Anyway, we're doing Ecclesiastes. I don't know where that came from. If you have your Bibles, your apps, turn them on, open them to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes reminds me of a journey, but it's a journey without a map, without a GPS, and without directions. It's a journey, and you kind of wonder where we're headed to. It's a journey through one man's thoughts as he seeks to answer the question, why? Why are we here? Why? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? Our guide in this journey is a man named Solomon, King Solomon. Our goal is to find purpose in life. Our travel log, honestly, the scriptures can be puzzling and confounding at times. In fact, there are many people who question why in the world is this book even in the Bible? Well, why is it here? And so for the summer months, this is the journey we're going to be traveling together. So we're going to buckle up and get started in a few minutes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read from the NIV and then teach from the New American Standard. The, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. The words of the teacher. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. How's that for an exciting Sunday at Temple Bible Church? Life is utterly meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, it turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye has, has enough of seeing, never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is filled with hearing. 
What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow after them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ever ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and of madness and in folly, but I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. Some of you saying, count me out for the rest of the summer. This is what we're going to be looking at. I'm done. I'm done. Father, as we come to the Word and look at this section of Scripture, I pray that in the weeks ahead you would teach us. You would teach us about uh, what gives meaning and purpose in life and why we are here. In Christ's name, amen. Futility. I mean, if I had to uh, give a title to this chapter, there it is. Futility. The number one best-selling Christian book ever published besides the Bible is what? Do you know? Written by Rick Warren. Purpose Driven Life. The number one best-selling book in the history of publication, Christian books. Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life. Over 35 million Purpose Driven Life books have been sold. 35 million. Why would 35 million people be interested in reading this book? I mean, it made Rick Warren a very wealthy man, and also he became a very generous man. Why? I mean, why do so many people want to read a book? The subtitle of that book is, What on Earth Am I Here For? Why, why did 35 million copies, why were 35 million copies of this book sold? How many of you bought that book, even if you didn't read it, you've got a copy of it? Raise your hands, keep in mind, look at that. Take a look around. Probably 75% of us. Why? Why were we so interested in this book? The purpose-driven life. I'm convinced there are a number of reasons, but the primary reason is because we're consumed with ourselves. We're consumed with ourselves. We want to understand ourselves. We want to know our purpose. We want to know what type of contribution we can make. We want to answer the question, why are we here? We're consumed with ourselves. I mean, personality profiles. Everybody likes to take a personality profile because it talks to you about yourself. I mean, you become a lion, a beaver, a golden retriever, or maybe a slug. I don't know. Or, or, or there are leadership styles. There's the type A leader, the type B leader, and the leader who can't type at all, I guess. I'm not sure. But when you look at that, we're consumed with ourselves. We want to know why we are here. We want to know if we can make a difference, if we can make a mark, if we can make a contribution, not just live, die, and become petroleum for Exxon. I mean, why are we here? What is our purpose? This is the question that Solomon is asking in Ecclesiastes. He says, in the monotony of life, and in the same old, same old, and the routine of life, what's the point? What's the purpose? Does it all matter? In the end, why? Or in Texas, we say, why? 
Why? How many of you have preschoolers? How many of you have preschoolers? Let me see your hands. What is a preschooler's favorite question? It is, isn't it? I mean, it's the first question that comes up. I've got some little books in my uh, library called uh, Children's Letters to God, and these kids wrote letters, and it's amazing. I mean, they, they ask why all the time. Dear God, I don't think you were listening when I asked you to make me a better player, so I'm sending it by mail so you can read it and when you have the time. Here is my picture so you'll know who I am. So long, Bobby. <laughs> God, why didn't you answer my prayer? Why? Why? So here's my picture. Uh, here's another kid. Dear God, Charles, my cat, got run over. And if you made it happen, you have to tell me why. <laughs> I mean, it's a great question from a kid. Why? Uh, why do you take this life? Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. Joyce. <laughs> why did you give me a baby brother? I just wanted a puppy. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. Peter. <laughs> Why does that kid keep coming to camp? My favorite one really isn't a why, but it's a great uh, statement. Dear God, I don't ever feel alone since I found out about you. Uh, why? Why are you here? Why am I here? What's our purpose? But what, what is God going to do through us, and how do we find that purpose? Hey, have you ever felt everybody knows where they're going except for me? I mean, everybody knows their direction, everybody knows where they're headed, and everybody has a plan, but not me. Or maybe you've gotten bored with the same old, same old. Maybe you've gotten bored, life has become a flat line, and you're asking, what's the point, why am I here? Maybe you're the opposite, maybe you're on top, maybe you are living the dream. And and you've gotten to the top of the the ladder, and, and all of a sudden you look over the wall and thinking, is this it? Really, is this it? And so now it's not enough just to hunt in Texas, you have to hunt in another state. And it's not enough just to have one vacation, you have to have two. And it's not enough just to have one house, you have to have two or three. And you're asking the question, why? I mean, why am I here and what's the purpose? If you've ever had these thoughts, Ecclesiastes is for you. Solomon is your soulmate and he will speak to you about why you are here. Some of you are saying, Gary, (laughs) pondering the meaning of life. You've got to be kidding me. I, I, I just want to keep my marriage together. I, I just want to keep my kids from becoming axe murderers. I just want to stay sane through the summer because they're home now. I, I just want to pay the bills next month. As we eavesdrop on Solomon's thought life, hopefully we'll find out. We'll find out that life is a lot more than just these things. That it's not just vanity, it's not just chasing after the wind. I, I've told my staff, I liken, I liken our journey through Ecclesiastes this summer as going through a dark, dark tunnel, but every once in a while there's a shaft of light that breaks through. In fact, there are four times in this book you're going to see that shaft of light break through. There are four sections in Ecclesiastes where it's like Solomon has an experience and he's able to explain a little bit of the purpose and meaning of light at life and this ray of light penetrates. So the thing that may surprise you, though, the thing that may surprise you is that the primary focus of this light, the primary focus that will be revealed in our study this summer is that life is not about you. Now, wait a minute, Gary. You just set up the whole introduction by saying we're asking the question, why? We're asking what is the meaning of life and the purpose of life, and now you're saying it's not about me. It's not. It's about him. 
And what you're going to find in our study of Ecclesiastes is that we who live in a culture that is so individualistic and so focused upon ourselves, we're going to walk away, I hope, at the end of the summer with the conclusion that all of this is nonsense apart from him, and our focus needs to be upward, not at ground level. So fasten your seatbelt. Let's take a journey together. We're going to begin with chapter 1, verse 1, as we always do. And we're going to look at the theme introduced by the searcher who is Solomon. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Uh, the words of this man, the description of one one can only fit one man, that's Solomon. His name is not mentioned, but he is the one who fits this description. Preacher is really a poor translation, I think, of the Hebrew word that is used here. The Hebrew word is koheleth. Koheleth, it literally means one who gathers, one who assembles, one who collects things. One who gathers, one who assembles, one who collects things. So I, I've actually scratched out the word preacher in my Bible. I've got the New American Standard, and I've written searcher there. I, I believe that may be a more accurate term to describe Solomon in this particular book. The words of the searcher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Solomon is on a quest. He's on a quest to find meaning of life, and he is a man on a mission. He is focused, he is driven, he is relentless. He is Lyme Neeson and Taken, he is Hugh Jackman, the Wolverine. He is searching continuously. He's looking, he's not going to give up until he finds his quest. He's a man on a mission answering the question, why? By the way, once upon a time, Solomon had all the advantages to understand life. God had given Solomon a blank check. God said to Solomon in Second Chronicles 1-7, ask for whatever you want me to give to you. So imagine that you have a check, it's signed by God, and he says, fill in the blanks. What would you ask for? I mean, anything you want in the world, anything you want in life is yours. What would you ask for? Well, you remember Solomon's answer. Solomon said, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. So he says, I need wisdom and knowledge. So Solomon is given a blank check by God. And Solomon, God has signed the check and Solomon fills in the blank and he says, he doesn't say I want $10 million. He doesn't say I, I want whatever. He says, I desire wisdom so I can rule over your people rightly. That's what he wants. So he prays for wisdom and God gives it to him. Then later on, God gives some instructions to whoever would become king of Israel. And he says, the king, this is not, this is not the same section, a different section, the king, moreover, must not acquire great number of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them, for the Lord has told you not to go back that way. So the first thing you don't do is gather what? Go ahead, it's up there. Don't gather what? Horses, okay, horses. So you're not going to have great horses. He don't want them dependent upon uh, other things other than him, anything other than him. And then he goes on and he says, the king must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. So don't gather a great number of horses. Don't gather foreign wives or many wives because your heart will be led astray. And don't accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. So when instruction is given in Deuteronomy, whenever Israel would go into the promised land and they would have a king, he says, as king, I want your dependence to be upon me. And so I don't want you to gather horses and chariots. It says in another section, don't gather a great number of horses and chariots. Don't gather a great many wives, especially foreign wives, because they will lead your heart astray. And don't gather a whole bunch of money, because if you get a whole bunch of money, you're not going to depend upon me. You're going to depend upon it. So what does Solomon do? What does Solomon do? Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. Does that sound like a violation of what God has instructed him not to do? It is. 
He brought it to the city of David until he finished building his palace in the temple of the Lord and the wall was around them. Now, in that day and age, kings married the daughters of other kings so that they could form an alliance and not be attacked. The king of Egypt is not going to attack Solomon if his daughter is in the palace. But God has specifically said not to marry foreign wives because if you do, your heart will be led astray. So what did Solomon do? King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, Hittites, and Termites. They're all there. (laughs) He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And you know my line right here. A thousand women, a thousand mother-in-laws. He was crazy. His wives did what? Let them astray. God said, if you gather yourselves, wives, money, chariots and horses, you're not going to depend upon me. You shouldn't do it as the king. And Solomon disobeyed. Totally disobeyed. He accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. Wow. God said, but he didn't do. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. If you've ever been to Israel, there are rocks everywhere. Rocks everywhere. And he said, the king made silver as common as the stones in the desert in Israel. And at this point in time, you must throw up your hands and say, why? I mean, what in the world has happened here? How could this guy be that way? I mean, I believe Ecclesiastes is written as Solomon is in the midst of a downward spiral. He's in the midst of a downward spiral. God has spoken. He's disobeyed. Now, I'm glad we don't do the same thing, weren't you? (laughs) Right. Don't marry foreign wives. The scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians 6, don't be unequally yoked. So we become unequally yoked. We become equally yoked to business partners who don't have the same ethics, the same value as we do, and we wonder why. We become unequally yoked to someone in marriage that is not a believer in Jesus Christ, and we wonder why. By the way, please don't come and ask us on staff here at TBC to do your wedding if you intend to marry an unbeliever. I mean, it's a violation of the scripture. Why don't you just come and ask us to rob a bank with you? It's the same thing. It's no different. You're asking us to sin in one section. Why not ask us to sin in another? So if you're going to marry an unbeliever, uh, first of all, I would encourage you not to do that because it's a violation of the word of God. Secondly, please don't come and ask us to do it because we will place you and your fiancé in a very awkward position. You are choosing sin and compromise, and you'll experience the consequences of that. Solomon fell into a trap. These small compromises led to larger consequences. Same thing happens to us. Satan gets a toehold. He gets a foothold, then he gets a stronghold. We compromise in little areas, and before long, we're caught in this avalanche, this avalanche of sin. And we don't realize it. We are dying a slow death before God because of our sin. It starts small. When Paul Harvey, you guys remember Paul Harvey? If you're young, you probably don't. When he was alive, he did, uh, you remember, what was the name of his little episode on the radio? Rest of the story. 
And one of those that uh, he did, and you can buy a book with a ver- uh, different versions of them or accounts of them, uh, he said uh, he's talking about how Eskimos killed wolves back at the turn of the last century. He, he said uh, basically, pretty grisly, first the es- Eskimo would coat his knife blade with animal blood and allow it to freeze. Then he would add another layer of animal blood and allow it to freeze, and another and another until the knife was concealed by the blood. Next, the hunter would fix his knife in the ground with the blade upward. So the blade is sticking out of the ground, but all that's really exposed is blood. The blood, and so the wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source of the scent, discovers the bait. He begins to lick, tasting the fresh, frozen blood. He begins to lick more and more furiously, faster and faster, more vigorously, lapping the blade until the keen edge is bare. Feverishly nailed harder and harder into the Arctic night, he licks the blade, not realizing his craving for blood becomes his own blood through the knife that is cutting his tongue, his mouth, and eventually he bleeds to death and dies. The Eskimo has a wolf, he has a hide, and he has meat. How's it start? Very small. Just a small taste of blood. And a little more, and a little more. And before long, you've got a thousand wives, and thousands of chariots, and thousands of horses, and you're disobeying God and suffering the consequences of your sin. And you're asking why. And it's because we've given Satan a toehole, a foothole, and a stronghold. And for some of us, you're compromising in your lives in areas where you shouldn't be compromising. And the result of, you're going to sit down to a banquet of consequences that you don't. You can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. And you're going to sit down to a banquet of consequences one day that will haunt you the rest of your life. And so I beg you to walk with Christ so you won't suffer these consequences. The theme introduced the premise, the premise of this whole book, as we're going to read it from now through August, is life is meaningless. Solomon failed preaching 101. I mean, you look, at the, you look at the next verse, he's saying, vanity of vanity and futility of futilities, everything is futile. The, the, the word for vanity here is the Hebrew word hevel, H-E-V-E-L. It means that which is empty, meaningless, futile, a vapor, mere breath, without substance. I mean, Solomon starts and says, let me give you the theme. The theme is life is meaningless, life is a vapor, life is futile. I mean, in preaching, you're taught, you've got to hook them in the introduction. You've got to start off positively, not negatively. And here's Solomon, man. He says, I want you to know I'm writing about 12 chapters, and the, 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 the theme of this thing is that life is meaningless. Not only that, it's chasing after the wind. It's chasing after the wind. See, you're going to live statistically, guys are going to live 78 years, gals are going to live 82 years. Statistically, that's the average in America right now. So, so you're going to live 78, 82 years. Then you're going to die. Then your kids are going to sell your house. They're going to divide their inheritance among themselves. And then they're going to take a vacation or they're going to fix up their houses and, and they're going to put your picture up on a wall and they're going to remember you at Thanksgiving time. That's it. You're done. You're gone. Your history. What Solomon says. That's your life. You see, Gary, you're dragging me here all summer to hear that. <laughs> really? That's what Solomon says. He says, your life is a vapor. You know what a vapor is? You go out on a cold morning and go, and this little puff comes out. What do you do with that puff? Do you name it? This is my friend, 
Do do you cry when it's gone away? Do you say, wow, where'd it go? My my good friend is gone just like that in three seconds. Boom, gone. That's you. I thought about bringing a balloon up here, but I I forgot to stop at Walmart. And I was going to say, this is your life. Let it go. Boom. That's you. That's you. So when you think you're somebody or something, guess what? Solomon says, think again. Think again. And he says, this too, look at verse 14, is chasing after the wind. Verse 17, this is chasing after the wind. It's chasing after the wind. When I was a kid growing up, uh, there are three houses behind us uh, in the street behind us right over there. There was a little chihuahua, and that chihuahua every day would go out and for hours chase its tail. I mean, go round and round, round and round, round and round, round and round. And, and I often thought, first of all, what's it going to do if it catches its tail? Chew it off? I don't, you know. Then you go to a retail shop somewhere. <laughs> That's a good one. Thank you. There we go. These guys like it. I like y'all. I mean, what do you, you catch your tail, you do what? But go round and round and round and round. And somebody sent me an email and said, what does a dog teach a boy how to be loyal, loving, and turn around three times before he lies down? I mean, this neighborhood dog was chasing the wind, just chasing the wind. After his search for meaning, Solomon was deflated, depressed, dejected, discouraged, disillusioned, saying, is this all there is? How did the wisest man in the world get to the point where he says, life is meaningless? How did that happen? How did it happen? Well, part of it is his perspective. It's the problem. He had a warped perspective. Solomon's perspective in this whole journey was warped. Solomon was looking at life through the wrong lens. Look at verse 3. What advantage does man have in all of his labors, which he does? And if you write in your Bible, underline the words under the sun. There are three phrases here you want to underline. The word vanity, the the words under the sun, the words chasing after the wind. Those are key phrases in Ecclesiastes. Under the sun occurs 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. What does it mean? He says, he says when I look at the labor of life, what advantage does all this have under the sun? The problem with Solomon is his perspective was warped. Solomon's quest to find meaning and purpose in life had a twofold limitation. First of all, he limited where he was looking. He only looked under the sun, that is, upon the earth, not, behind, not beyond it. He's looking at the horizontal. He's looking at ground level. He's not looking beyond his earthly experience. Secondly, he is limited by his own experience. He's looking at life through the lens of that which he himself has lived and no more. Most of Ecclesiastes describes what life would be like if the heavens, that is, the spiritual life, were shut off from man. I mean, somehow if we could place a big bowl around the earth and we could not pray and we could not consider God and he was not a part of it, that's Solomon's quest. Solomon's under the sun quest is not looking beyond the earth. He's looking at ground level. He's looking horizontal. He's not looking beyond to where God is. And so his perspective is warped. It's warped. 
If I looked only through the lens of what happened under the sun, that is what was taking place on earth, I would be hopelessly depressed too. If all I looked at the world is what was happening in our culture, what was happening around us, then I would have a difficult time crawling out of the bed every single day. If we look at life through that way and through that lens only, it's a struggle. So let me ask you an applicational question this morning. What lens are you viewing life through? Really, or do you only have an under-the-sun focus right now? I mean, many of us, that's what we live for. Our focus is under the sun, how the stock market is performing, when the next red apple sale is going to take place, the next time we can go to Austin to go shopping or eating out, the start of football season, of dove hunting, of deer hunting, the the keeping up with politics. If Fox News went off the air, some of you would go stark raving mad. What am I going to do with myself? Getting the latest and greatest phone, computer, tablet, headphones, motorcycle, bike, boat. It's amazing the love affair Americans have with this thing right here. We've talked about it before. If you accidentally left this behind this morning, you probably turned around and went to get it. The greatest way to punish my young... What's the greatest way to punish you guys this day and age? Take away your phone. Take away your phone. You guys would go crazy. Mom and dad said, you know, my life or my phone for a week, you're going to say, kill me. <laughs> life is not worth living without my phone. How can I text? How can I email? How can I look? How can I listen? What can I do? Under the sun existence. Our concern is about the temporal. It's all about the here and now. It's all about this life. It's all about what we have, what we can get, where we can go, and what we can do. And Solomon says that type of life is chasing the wind, it's vanity, it's foolishness, it's empty. And that's why so many people in our culture, in our day and age, live empty lives. We try and fill it and fill it and fill it and fill it. We fill it with gone to more exotic places for vacations. We fill it by getting the newest, fastest, greatest, and latest. We fill it by pursuing more, getting more, accumulating more, having more. We pursue it by going to conferences to find more about ourselves and who we are. And Solomon says that is a pursuit that ends up in emptiness. His conclusion, this under the sun search ends in futility. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for a different world. I, I like what one author says. He says, if you take a fish and place him on a beach, watch his gills gasp and his scales dry, is he happy? Of course not. How do you make a fish happy that's lying on a beach? Do you cover him with a mountain of cash? Do you get him on a beach chair and sunglasses and hand him a drink? Do you wardrobe him in a double-breasted fin suit and people-skinned shoes? What do you do? How do you make a fish happy? You put him back in the water. You place him back in his element. He'll never be happy on the beach simply because he was not made to live 
on the beach. Scriptures tell us we are aliens of this world and citizens of another world, and if our focus is always on this world, then we will live a life that is chasing the wind, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. His conclusion is, under the sun, this earth leads to futility. Let me flip that on you. Let me make that a positive statement. Stated positively, apart from God, life is meaningless. That's really what he's saying. Apart from God, this life is meaningless. And yet, most of us, many of us, try and live this life apart from God. Solomon argued life is pointless because it's always moving in circles and it's going nowhere. You get up on Monday, you grab your phone, you read your emails, you look at the news, you grab a cup of coffee, you head to your cubicle, your office, or the truck that you drive, you stop somewhere for lunch, you go home to help with dinner, kids, TV, then you knock out, then Tuesday morning comes and you do the whole thing again. Or or it's Monday morning and and you're a mom at home with kids and you hustle the kids out the door to catch the bus or to run carpool. They slam down breakfast. You fix a lunch. You get them home. Maybe you've got a toddler chase around all morning. You finally have a little lunch. You finally get them down for a nap. You sit down for two minutes and you realize you've got things to do like some laundry and think about supper. And then the rest of the kids come home and then you get them and you do a little homework and you help them do it. And then there's that death hour where it's homework and dinner and trying to get them to bed and then you collapse and then Tuesday comes up and what do you do? The monotony, the routine, the same thing over and over and over again. That's what Solomon's saying. And Solomon supports his thesis. This brilliant searcher supports his thesis. He says, I I want you to know that's what life is like. It's just like nature. Look, Look at the ceaseless cycle of nature. It's meaningless. Beginning in verse 4, generation comes, a generation goes but the earth remains forever. He says, here's the reality. People are born, people die. What difference do they really make? Yeah, we had Mother's Day, and two weeks later, or the week after, we honored high school graduates. On Mother's Day, it's quite interesting. We dedicated 43 babies on, on high school graduation day when we send kids off to college and to the workforce, whatever. We had 43 kids who we honored up on stage. 43 coming, 43 going generation comes, a generation goes. Statistics tell us that 80% of us do not even know our great-grandmother's maiden name. Let me say it again. Eight out of ten of you, once you think about it, your great-grandmother's maiden name. Got it? Your great-grandmother's maiden name. That means Hudson, Jackson, Grayson, Emerson, Case, our grandkids, they won't know Bev's. They probably won't know her name, much less her maiden name. Are you kidding me? You know your great your maternal great-grandmother, you know her name? You got it? That's three generations ago. 80% of us can't do that, much less know anything about them. Generations come, generations go. What, what is it uh, that Shakespeare said? We, we occupy life, life stage for a brief time, and then we're gone. Here today, gone tomorrow. Come, and they go. Generations come, generations go. 
kids in the third grade class had all been photographed. You know how you do a, a school picture and all the kids are in the, in the picture. And then the teacher was trying to get them to buy the group picture. And she said, just think how nice it will be uh, when you're all grown up and you say, there's Jennifer, she's a lawyer. There's Michael, he's a doctor. There's Jill, she's a nurse. And a small voice in the back of the room rang out. And there's the teacher, she's dead. That's it. That's it. Generations come, generate. Not only that, the sun rises, the sun sets, it hastens to the place there, it goes again, the wind blows, the, the rivers fill the flow, but the sea is never full. Solomon is saying there's a ceaseless cycle of nature and creation. It just happens habitually. You cannot change a thing about it. You are one of 6.5 billion people on the planet, and there's much that you cannot change. Solomon's saying life is monotonous. It's like a metronome on a piano, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Remember the story of a young boy who's practicing the piano? Salesman comes up, knocks on the door. Screen door is, uh, there's only a screen door. The other door is open. He sees the boy practicing the piano, metronome going back and forth. Ten-year-old boy practicing the piano. And the salesman said, son, is your mom home? And he looked back at him and said, what do you think? (laughs) By the way, this is the prevailing philosophy of our culture. We come, we go. And we become petroleum for Exxon or fertilizers in somebody's backyard. If we're really good, we come back as a fly or a gnat or somebody's pet dog. That's the prevailing philosophy. Remember Lion King? Maybe you saw that movie or saw the play. I mean, it's great. Uh, We were going to play Circle of Life up here. It didn't happen. But in, in the midst of that, in the midst of Lion King, Mufasa, the king of the jungle, turns to his young son Simba, who is the heir apparent, or the heir, and they're on a tour of the kingdom. And he's teaching him the importance of respecting all of the animals, even the antelope. And here's how it says, Simba the lion cub says, but don't we eat antelopes? Yes, replies Mufasa, we eat the antelope. But when we die, we become grass. And the antelope eats the grass, so we are all part of the circle of life. And we all go, ah, isn't that cool? (laughs) And I say, isn't that tragic? Because that's the prevailing philosophy of the world today. We all become part of this endless circle of life because all we have is an under-the-sun look at life. How hopeless, how wrong. We're just part of a food chain that never stops. Solomon goes on and says, the ceaseless cycle of history is meaningless. He dons the hat of a historian, and he says, you know, the more we learn, the more we see that little changes. He says, look at verse 8. He says, all things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. I mean, we want more, 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 more. We just changed cable companies, and uh, it's amazing. I hadn't done that in several years, and uh, as we uh, did that, uh, they said, which package do you want? Well, I go online, and I look at it. There's a package. I mean, you can go all the way up to a thousand different channels. It would take you half a day just to scroll through that. Why does anybody need that? Well, well, sir, if you sign up today, we're going to give you the NFL ticket. We're going to give you this. We're going to give you that. We're going to give you that. Well, are you going to have the SEC channel? That was my question. Well, we're not sure. Well, I'm not sure if I'm going to go with you. (laughs) Sir, we'll throw in HBO, and I, I don't want that stuff. 
I mean, the eye is never satisfied, nor, look at the end of verse 8, nor is the ear filled with hearing. I, I went to Best Buy to get something a couple of weeks ago. I had no idea what the cost of these headphones were. Oh, my gosh. 200 bucks for headphones? Really? The sound is that much better than the ones for twenty nine ninety nine. I guess they are. When you wear hearing aids and you're deaf, you can't tell the difference. But, <laughs> but he says at the end of verse 9, there's nothing new under the sun. Nature, the meaningless cycle of nature, the ceaseless cycle of history, and his conclusion is any search apart from God is utterly meaningless. Any search apart from God is utterly meaningless. I, I mean... You can almost see Solomon in verse 11. There's no remembrance of earlier things. All these things have happened. You can almost see him shrugging his shoulders and saying, so what? I want to say, man, Debbie Downer right here. It's like, wow. Come on, Solomon, get a grip. Mark Twain said, the world will lament you for an hour, then forget you forever. You're going to come and you're going to go. Come and go. You feeling empty yet? Done for the summer? That's what Solomon wants you to feel. It's kind of futile. He goes on and he says, uh, you know, any search apart from God is meaningless, even if that search is dedicated, even if that search is thorough, even if that search is intelligent. So he went on this dedicated search. He went on this uh, thorough search. He went on this intelligent search. If the book of Ecclesiastes ended with chapter 1, it would be filled with hopelessness, despondency, and depression. And I would say, don't come back. I would say, why spend a summer looking at that? But it doesn't. In fact, I'm going to tip my hand. I want you to turn to the last chapter. Chapter 12. There are four interludes, four times when these shafts of light penetrate the darkness that we're going to look at over the next several weeks. The final time is in 12, 13, and 14. We could have looked at some of the others. I just want you to look at this with me. Solomon's conclusion at the end of the book is found in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 12. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. Fear God, keep his commandments. What Solomon is saying is the best way to live under the sun is to live for the sun. You fast forward to the New Testament, and you find there are new things that are brought about. They're brought about by Jesus. There's a new covenant, there's a new creation, there will be new heavens and there'll be new earth, and we find that Jesus does make all things new. He teaches us that we can have an abundant life, not an abandoned life. We can have a fulfilled life, not a futile life. We we can enjoy life, not just endure life. When your life is miserable, monotonous, and wearisome, the best way to live under the sun is to live for the sun. St. Augustine put it a little differently than that. He said, he who has God has everything. He who does not have God has nothing. And under the sun, existence. What are you living for? Where are you looking? How are you living? 
Many of you will remember this story because I've used it multiple times, but I think it fits very appropriately to what we're talking about. Charles Schultz, Peanuts cartoon strip. Linus tosses a stick. Snoopy's at his feet. And he tosses a stick, and uh, Snoopy doesn't budge. Snoopy just sits there looking at the stick. And Charlie Brown says, uh, you're not going to go get it, are you? And Snoopy shakes his head. Nope. Later, you know how Snoopy is flat on his back in his doghouse? He's flat on the back in his doghouse thinking aloud. And he says, I want people to have more to say about me after I'm gone. He was a nice dog and chased sticks. Yeah, I've done so many funerals for nice guys who chase sticks. And nice women who chase sticks. Their whole life has been filled with the here and now. And they've had this under-the-sun existence. And really, when they're done, it's pretty meaningless. They had a bigger pile that'll be burned up one day. Their kids will fight about it, divide it up, enjoy a vacation, remodel their house. And they've not thought beyond the sun. What about you? Father, as we look at this book, we hear your words. None of us want to finish this life looking back, thinking futility of futility was all futile. God, I pray for each of us here that our pursuit in life would be much more than the here and now. It would be a pursuit of you beginning by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior for the forgiveness of our sin because he makes all things new. So if you're here today and you're thinking life is monotonous, become routine, or maybe you're at the top and thinking this is it, This is it. Christ can give you meaning. He can replace that monotony with purpose. But it's all about him. Would you trust the Savior today? Or maybe you recognize you have been chasing so much under the sun that your perspective like Solomon's is warped. Would you ask God today to restore the perspective so that you might walk with him appropriately. Father, we're grateful. Grateful that we don't have to do what Solomon did, but we have his example to look at and to learn from. So we do that in the name of Jesus. Amen.